You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. A reading comes from Mark 4, 35 to 41. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thank you, bands. It's cool. Um, yeah, good morning to everyone here. Um, if I didn't get to say hi to you on the front end, big warm welcome to you, guests, visitors in town. Um, it's your first time here. Um, on behalf of the staff and leadership, very honored to have you here with us, uh, regular Praxis attenders. So good to be together in the midst of everything going on, just choosing to praise. That's powerful. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me pray. I'm going to need it here. Uh, Lord, I'm just I'm thankful for this community. I'm thankful that you're, you're on your throne. And I'm thankful that in the midst of crazy times, you're not silent. You're not absent. So as we open your word, I pray that your spirit would be present and that you would minister the truths that you've spoken and preserved for us. I pray, I'm dependent on you, and um, I just pray in the great name of Jesus, amen. So um, we've been working our way through Genesis, as you just heard read. We're not, that's not Genesis. We're taking a little break. Um, that really didn't happen until later in the afternoon yesterday. Um, I, I was driving around town. I was checking some things out, trying to figure out what we were going to do today, praying and pleading for wisdom. And the Lord began to minister some things into my heart personally. And I think just also some things that are very pertinent for us as a body um, us as believers here in Kelowna in the midst of everything that's going on. Um, if you're like me, you have been investing uh, um, a lot of time in reading news stories, checking for fire updates, looking at the map, um, trying to find updates on is there a, a new fires in different parts of the city. Um, for this next little bit of time, I want to ask you guys to do something. It's a spiritual practice in today's day and age. Can you turn your phones off? Um, let's turn them off. Okay, we've been distracted all week. If you're if you're like, but my Bible's my phone. Okay, switch it to do not disturb if you need to. But let's just choose to be here right now because we've been here and there and we've been all over the place this week. And honestly, I think our souls just need some time with the Lord and some time of refreshment in His Word. So, um, maybe just to set the stage with that, let's put our phones down. We've been barraged by so much. Our minds have been flooded by so much, and it's probably caused worry in many, anxiety in many, 
fear certainly in, in, in many, and I want to take this bit of time just to focus on the Word of God into a section of Scripture that I think speaks very accurately to our situation that we're in. Um, many, you're familiar with this story, and even if you are, I think we need to set the context for this story up a little bit. Um, this is the Gospel of Mark, this story of, of um, Jesus in the boat calming the storm. It's early on in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has um, called his 12 disciples. He's in the process now of turning them into just that, of making them become disciples. A disciple is someone who, um, it's like an apprentice. It's somebody who is becoming like their rabbi. He's apprenticing under a, a teacher to become like them. And what we're going to be unpacking in this story is an event that's very pivotal in the in the apprenticeship of these disciples, in the process of them becoming like their rabbi. This event and the lesson that it taught them is so important that this story occurs in all four of the Gospels. Not, not all of the stories do. This one in particular appears in all four, and it's been preserved for thousands of years for us because I believe this story is vital to our apprenticeship under Jesus as well. Uh, it begins in verse 35 here of Mark 4, and it says, on that day. Now, so we're dropping in in the middle of a day. What's happened a little earlier on in the day, if we were reading through Mark, what we would know, Jesus has just been teaching them a ton of parables. They've, they've had a whole day of being taught by the parables, a day full of lessons that challenged their thinking and their minds, and now they're actually gonna go and learn kind of a hands-on lesson. So it says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. This, a bit of an interesting note, Jesus calls them to cross the Sea of Galilee at night. Morning would have been a better time, if you, if you ever go down to Okanagan Lake in the morning, the temperature's even all day. That's like when the water skiers get up at 4 a.m. to go cut through the glass lake. Uh, it's very similar. It still sees in the morning. It's probably going to get a little crazier at night. So it's interesting. Jesus calls them to cross it at night, it says. Um, they also would have been tired. They've just sat. They've literally just been kind of sitting under instruction all day long. Um, they're going to go out on the lake, not be able to rely on their vision as much, but their master called them to go, and they're his disciples, and uh, an apprentice and a disciple would follow their rabbi wherever he went, so they, they get out on the sea with him. And it's important, I think, just as I look at this, is that Jesus doesn't give them uh, an explanation for why. He just says, let's go. He just calls them out. And so they go with him. They go to the other side. Um, verse 36 says, then, leaving the crowd. And that's another just important piece of information. If you're a note taker, if you've got your Bible open, you've got a pencil, you might want to underline this. When you see this phrase, leaving the crowd, it's an important one, especially as um, it pertains to Jesus and his disciples. Uh, it's an important note. It comes up several times in the scripture. And whenever we see this phrase used, it's, it's usually to point out Jesus taking his disciples somewhere to do something in them. So when they move away from crowds, he wants to do something in them because usually he's sending them into crowds to do something through them. 
But when he pulls away, just as a note, pay attention to the story because it's usually going to tell us something about what he's trying to accomplish inside of his disciples. Um, And so it says, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and and other boats were with them, and and a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was, was already filling. They head out onto the Sea of Galilee at night, um, into an environment where they can't see, they're at the mercy of their winds, where if they were to capsize, quite honestly, many of them would die, because at this time, not everyone's like in Red Cross swimming lessons. Um, even though they're fishermen, chances are if they capsize, a good half to three quarters of them are dead. So they're, it's a little unnerving. They're out in the middle of this sea, and a windstorm kicks up. Anyone ever been out? on a, the ocean, on something, and had a, a frightening storm kick up? Anyone ever capsized? A couple capsizes. Daryl Preeb, you capsized something. I want to hear that story. I capsized my wife and us one time. She won't go on anything that floats with me ever again. Um, <laughs> frightened her. Um, I was out with my girls this summer. Um, somehow she lets me take the kids out still, though. We were out. We paddled across... <laughs> Okanagan Lake, me and my older two, and it got choppy. We were out there, and actually, I got a little frightened as a dad. We're right in the middle of Okanagan Lake, paddling to Rattlesnake Island, and I'm like, what would happen if we all capsized out here? Like, there's, there's this fright, and if you've ever been out in that situation, you know it, but we've got to put ourselves in, in the disciples' shoes a little. Um, you can kind of see that they're getting a little freaked out, And then the next verse tells us something very interesting. It says, but he was in the stern, asleep. The rabbi, the one they're supposed to be becoming like, is asleep while they're freaking out in the middle of the lake. He doesn't appear to care. They're thinking they're about to drown, and Jesus is sleeping. He's asleep in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke, and they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? You can hear like a, just a pinch of sass in their voice, right? Like, what are you doing? Hey, we could use another man on the oar. You're just going to have a nap. We're going to drown while you lie there. Okay, and then the craziest thing happens in this story. Um, and if you can kind of go method actor here for a second, put yourself in the disciples' shoes and pretend you're them for a sec, okay? You're drowning, you think you're about to capsize. You wake this guy, Jesus, up, and, and then this happens. He awoke, rebuked the wind. I don't know what that looked like, but he did something, and he spoke to the sea, said, peace, be still. The wind instantly ceased, and there was a great calm. bit frightening. If you imagine actually being there and witnessing this, if you've, how many here you've ever seen Chris Angel? Remember Mind Freak? Watching those? I just remember him like getting run over by a steamroller and women crying. They're so frightened. Who are you, you mind freak? It, we know that stuff's all illusion. This is no illusion. You can't, you can't speak to seas and make them go calm. This is not an illusion. This is not some sleight of hand. And when we keep that in mind, like we can kind of just glaze over this story because we get used to it. 
But when I honestly think about this, it gives me chills. I can't imagine how the disciples might have felt there. Well, actually, we, we don't have to, <laughs> um, because it tells us. Look at, he said to them, why are you so afraid? And they're filled with fear, great fear, it says. And they said to one another, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? This is like pure fright. Who is in our boat? Who is this? Um, the King James Version says, what manner of man is this? The New King James Version, I love this. Who could this be that's in our boat? Here's what we know that the disciples don't. Um, God was in their boat. Jesus, God in the flesh, third member of the Trinity, is right there in the boat. They didn't know that at the time when they were writing this. Later on in the future, they did know this. But when it's happening, they don't. And so what we don't and they don't is that their rabbis, the God of the universe, the one they're apprenticing under is God. God in the flesh is in the boat with them. And so here's what we know that they don't. Since Jesus is God and God is all-knowing, he knew this was going to happen to them. When they got out in the boat, when he said, hey, let's go on the boat, he knew this was going to happen to them. Here's the second thing that we know that they didn't at the time. He's all-knowing, but he's also all-powerful. And so he knew it was going to happen, and he could have stopped it before it ever happened. But he didn't. So why is he allowing it? Why has Jesus allowed this circumstance to happen to his disciples? Here's what I'm going to pause it and suggest is that he's led them out into the middle of this crazy storm to do something in them. Before they ever left the shore, he knew what they were going to face. He led them into this situation intentionally. There's something that this situation perfectly kind of was designed to accomplish in the disciples. There's something about being powerless in the face of nature that, you know, as nature roars in all its power, it kind of puts us in a position where we don't often find ourselves. And, and this is why I think this story is so important for us right now, is that we are, we're not in the midst of a perfect storm at sea, but we've, we've had one hell of a crazy storm here in our city this last week. And just as the disciples are at the mercy of the wind and the waves, this past week has found us at the mercy of um, wind and fire. And so what I want to look at in this text is what it is that Jesus is up to in the midst of the storm in his disciples. Because then, perhaps, just maybe, we can glean some wisdom about what God might be trying to do in the midst of the situation that we find ourselves Jesus, God in the flesh, led 12 men out into the middle of the sea to accomplish something in them. What is it? Well, there's probably a few things. There's probably many, probably lots we don't know, but I think the text gives us enough hint for me to give three reasons. The first one is this. He's removing them from their comforts. Okay, so you go out in the middle of the lake with um, three quarters of your people not being swimmers, um, even if you are, I mean, you're, this isn't your natural element. I swam across the lake this summer. You get to the middle, you're like, I don't belong here. Um, I'm, I shouldn't be here. Give me something to hold on to. You know, 
He's taken them away from their comforts. Why would he do that? Because it's actually only there that they would realize the desperation of their state, where they would come to the complete and utter end of themselves and their trust in their own capabilities. It's here that their power is at their weakest and where his power would be most vividly displayed. Second reason I think he's, he's brought them out here knowing full well what was going to happen is he's challenging their concept of power. So they've come to the end of themselves, but they still, they still think the natural elements they're facing are supremely powerful. They're waking Jesus up to get another man on the oar. That's why they wake him up. Because to their minds, this storm is ultimate. But then Jesus speaks, and the water listens. Verse 39, it says, a great calm comes. Actually, I love how the NSRV, the New Revised Standard Version, puts it. It says, a dead calm. It's like, here was this ferocious beast coming at them, and Jesus speaks, and he slays it. It's dead. Dead calm. And they respond by saying, who is this? Who is this? They're frightened. The fear shifts from that of the natural elements. The fear stops being on what, um, directed towards what's outside of the boat, and now the fear is directed towards who's inside of the boat with them. This is what he's doing. He's shifting the focus of their fear. This is what I think he wanted to accomplish in them, principally by taking them out in the boat. He's transferring their fear from the forces of nature to the one who commands it. The crux of it, I think, is just this. If he was going to be their rabbi and they were going to be his disciples, this is the vital lesson they needed to learn. Who and what to fear. Do you know what the number one command in all of scripture is? Yeah, fear not. Over and over and over and over throughout the scripture. We can't move past that too quickly. Let that sink in just for a second. The number one thing God commands his followers to do is to fear not. When God repeats himself, we should always pay attention. But like hundreds of times this command comes up. That should really catch our attention. So here, let me just ask, why do you think that's such an important command? Here's, as I thought on that yesterday, because if we believe he's truly the most sovereign, there is actually nothing else to fear. Jesus feared nothing. And if we're to be his disciples, we're to be like our teacher. And fear is something the Bible speaks to so much because here, we're all prone to it. But when we fear things, at the heart of it, it's because we either think God isn't in control of it or we don't trust him with it. Or perhaps we fear it because in reality we think, like the disciples, that, that storm, that natural element, whatever that thing is we fear, that we, we think it's more powerful than God. And God sometimes brings us into the midst of situations far beyond our control so we can learn to fear the one in the boat more than what's happening outside of the boat. God sometimes lets situations befall us in order to accomplish things in us. And sometimes it can be hard to have this work done if the situations outside of us don't actually cause us to kind of go inward in that way. As disciples of Jesus, we're commanded not to fear. And I've said hundreds of times it comes up in the scripture. Let me show us a few, though. 
Look at this. It gives us reason for why we're not to fear. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my, I'm sorry, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord. And remember, we've talked about this in Genesis, the all caps piece. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. What else should we fear? What's going to come against him? Romans 8, it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's because of who's in the boat with us. It's because of who our Father is that we need not fear. John 14 says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is the mark of a disciple. Not as the world gives it to you. How's the world's peace come? When the, when the seas are still. The peace Jesus gives is the ability to sleep in the boat while the seas are roaring. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isaiah 26.3, I love this verse. It says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. What does this verse tell us will keep us at peace? Free us from fear. Having our eyes fixed on who's inside of the boat, not who's outside of the boat. So the question for us becomes, do we believe the one who's in the boat with us is more powerful than what's outside of the boat? Do we believe that? Then there is nothing else to fear. But we live in the middle of a culture, uh, a culture that for the last few years has grown quite acclimatized to fear. There's been a lot of um, fear-mongering, to be perfectly fair. We need to fear everything the last few years. You need to fear COVID. You need to fear who might have COVID. You need to fear the people who disagree with you on masks and vaccines. You need to fear every single thing. You need to fear running out of toilet paper. Remember that? Right now, our city has been stirred into a fearful frenzy. People are, like, gas stations are running out of gas. Like, who has to drive to Saskatchewan? You're, not everyone's tank needed to be full. Everyone's afraid of everything. Stores are running out of food. I remember I was at the gas station hearing people say, I bet you the foods, stores are going to start to run out of food now too. For what? We're in a fearful frenzy. People are checking their phones 12,000 times a day because we're afraid. And the average Castanet story, anyone read Castanet before this week? Okay. The average Castanet story gets about 10,000 reads. The average Castanet story on the fire this last week, over a million. Okay. We're, a, we're a city of 200,000 people. How is that even possible? Because okay. we're... If anyone else like me, you read it like the same story 16 times a day, right? We're worked into a fearful lather at the moment. And I really, I'm not trying to trivialize anything that some here and some we might know might be going through. But I do want to remind us that as we walk through those crazy situations, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're commanded not to fear. Why not? Because this. 
It's the Lord who goes before us. He will be with us. Look at the promise he gives us. He will not leave us or forsake us. Therefore, do not fear or be dismayed. Psalm 139, we are told this. In his book were written every one of them the days that were formed for us. Read that again, okay. In the book of God that he wrote before the foundations of the world, every one of our days were written before the foundation of the world. In his book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none. He formed the days that we're walking through for us. In the same way, he put his disciples in a boat knowing that there would be a storm at sea. Here, nothing can stop that. If the Lord designed us to die this week, we could flee to Saskatchewan and die there. We could, because he, he wrote our every day of ours. Psalm 23, why don't we fear? Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. We don't, the thing we don't need to fear is the fire in our town right now. The thing we need to fear is not having Jesus in, with us in the midst of that. That's what we need to fear. If we have him with us, we do not need to fear. Hebrews 1.3 says, Christ, the Son of God, Jesus, upholds the universe with the word of his power. He's the one maintaining all the molecular bonds, including the ones that make up the fire. Literally, the universe doesn't disintegrate into nothingness because of Jesus. He's the one controlling the seas. He's also in control of the fires we're going through. The storm they faced wasn't happenstance. It was allowed by God, and might I suggest the fires we're facing this week have been allowed by God to accomplish a purpose in us, his disciples, as well. Because God wants to do something in us. Now catch this, in order that he might do something through us. He wants to do something in us that needs to happen if he's going to be able to do something through us. The story shows us this. Um, Jesus is trying to make them a people who, who don't fear so that they could, he could do something through them. What, what's he going to do through them? What, what's God seeking to do through them after he's done this thing? Well, we can answer this, actually, when we take a look and read on in the story and find out what they were going to the other side for. So he's doing this so that when they get to the other side, they're ready. Um, they need to learn this lesson here before they can handle the situation that's going to come after. Remember, Jesus pulls his people away to do something in them, then he sends them into a crowd to do something. They're about to head into a crowd. If you're familiar with the story, um, if you re read the next chapter, you'll know where they're going. They're going across to the Decapolis, 10 cities, and they're going to encounter the demoniac. Remember that story? Jesus casts the demon out into the herd of pigs. They run off the cliff. That story. If they didn't have the faith and the courage to handle the natural elements that were facing them in the sea, they wouldn't have the faith or the courage to be able to handle the supernatural, spiritual, demonic things they were going to be up against literally in the very next chapter. And could I suggest that perhaps... 
there's a correlation to us as well. Perhaps the same is true as us. We will not be able to accomplish the things that Jesus wants to do through us if we're not going to be ruled, if we're ruled by what's going on around us right now. Praxis, our city uh, is afraid of these fires. They're fearful because they don't have a hope in the midst of it. But we do. And, and here's the thing. It's through being calm and not ruled by fear that we're going to be able to testify to the hope that's within us and the peace that we have in Christ. And this peace doesn't come from having smooth waters outside of the boat. It comes from having Jesus with us inside of the boat. And if we are to be the people, if we are people who have Christ, then we need to be people who don't run away in fear. We need to be people who actually run in the opposite direction. We don't run away, we run into it. This is what the church is for. This is why Christ allows storms. He leads us into the storms. He led them into the storm. This is what God has placed us right here for. Acts 17, 26 says he's determined the times and seasons and boundaries of our dwellings. He determined you would live on a house that's evacuated or maybe burned up. The Bible says it. Ephesians 2.10 says also that he's prepared good works from before the foundations of the world for us to walk in. Could those ideas maybe hold hands? This wildfire hasn't thwarted any of God's purposes. It's actually accomplishing it somehow. That's, that's mysterious, and we're probably not going to fully fathom it, but it's true. God is still on the throne. We don't need to be a people who fear right now. And just to the men in the room, in the middle of this, okay, our city's going crazy. It's quite possible our family's going crazy. Our job in the midst of this is to point them back to this truth, point our families back to this truth. We're to be men of valor who stare fear in the face boldly because our God's bigger than anything going on, because we believe these truths of Scripture, that God's allowed the situation and he's placed us in it on purpose. And so we need to be the calm in our family. This is our jobs. I've been, um, I, I've been reading the last like month or so a lot about World War II, um, watching through World War II documentaries about how the whole thing took place. I'm re reading lots of fun stories um, but reading up on Winston Churchill, too, and there's this quote I, I remember he said. He said, um, fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. And that, that's, uh, that decision that courage is is an easier one for Christians to make than anyone else because we are told who's inside the boat with us. Christians, we're to run to help rather than running away from it. We're to run into danger to help, not run from it. And this is the example that we see all throughout the church, all of church history, all the giants of the faith were men who stood in the face of fear, were willing to be boiled to death, cooked alive when they could have run for their lives. Again, reading about World War II, I remember reading about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great German theologian living in the States when the Nazis take power, he went back knowing what he faced so that he could be a gospel presence in the midst of it. He didn't, he, he'd actually, he was already free. He ran back into the fire. This week, um, someone from Praxis 
fires going on. We're right on the edge of the evacuation zone. This, this man from Praxis shows up at my door. He's come from East Kelowna running into the fire to help people. What a stud, right? Colin King, if you see that guy, slap him on the back. That's studly, manly, godly behavior. This is what our firefighters have been doing. And there's firefighters in our community doing back-to-back, 24-hour shifts. Incredibly courageous work. Choosing to walk into danger. Why? To save homes, to save people. Man, the church has that same work. Not homes. We're, we're here. We're walking into danger because for more than people's property, but in order that we might save their soul. God has a work he wants to do right now. I'm convinced of it. He's allowed what we're facing to happen. That's what I was praying about yesterday. Just what are you doing in the middle of this? I think he wants to do something in every single one of his disciples. And perhaps what he is going to do in us needs to take place in order for what he's going to do through us in this middle, um, the middle of the situation to actually happen. We, we cannot offer peace that we don't have. Now, in response, um, I don't know how to land this thing, to be honest. Like I told you, late afternoon yesterday, I was like, this Lord put this on my heart. I want to I do something different right now than we, we have ever done on a Sunday morning. Um, I want to take the next several minutes to just pray together. There's far less of us here than um, there's been in the, next, the last several years. So um, we can do this in a bit of a different context than we normally do. But I, I want to pray just over some of the specific things that are going on here. Because here... We, we need to take our eyes off what's going on outside of the boat, and we need to fix them back on who's inside of the boat with us. And we need to not forget that we have access to this one sitting in the boat with us. And so um, I want to I wanna just ask us to do this and just stay seated where you are right now. I'm going to get you to do some different things in a minute, though. Where we are right now, I want us to be a people free from fear. Why? Because the Bible commands us to be free from fear. And so wherever you are, just on your own, take a second. And I just want you to, you don't need to pray out loud. I just want you to honestly examine inside of your head. We're going to take a minute and look at these three questions. Where am I fearful? What am I fearing? Why do I fear it? Ask yourself those questions. Okay, if there's some things in your mind here, I'm going to ask you to do something that will probably feel silly to some, but this is actually, um, this is a practice the church has done for a long time. 
responsive prayer type things. I want you to do this. I want you to hold out whatever those fears are. Literally, just put your hands out like this. Not open, Teresa. Close them up. You're holding on to your fears right now. All right? And some of us are. Some of us came in holding on to some of these fears. Here's the thing. The one in the boat's greater than the one out, than anything we face outside of the boat. And so just on your own, take a second, confess what's in your hands to the Lord, and then just say this, you're greater than these things, and open your hands up. Father, I thank you that you are greater than anything that we face. You're greater than all of our fears. Would you fix our minds back on this and we just confess our lack of faith, our forgetfulness, our distraction by the clamor. And we just pray the words of Isaiah would be true, that you keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you.